I'm Gabby. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, brought to you by free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Today's episode is not, as you know, a light subject matter, but it's one that affects nearly all people at some point in their life, grief and loss. Before we proceed, please note that this episode contains content that some listeners may find upsetting due to the subject matter. If you are grieving right now, hopefully this episode will bring you some comfort. But if you do find this upsetting to listen to or are struggling and in need of professional advice, check out the crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which offers a fantastic directory of helplines. Now, I wanted to record an episode opening up the conversation around grief and loss because, as I mentioned, at some point in our lives, we all have to experience it and also witness a loved one go through it. I don't know about you, but when somebody I know has lost somebody close to them, it can be so hard to know what to say and how to offer comfort and support. Hopefully, this episode will help with that. When we are talking about grief and loss, yes, we are talking a lot today about death and losing a loved one, but we're also going to cover some of the other major losses, such as the end of a relationship, romantic or a friendship, losing a job or changes in financial security, changes in health, yours or a loved one, maybe losing someone to addiction. Today's guest, Alex Marmadiarov, is a psychotherapist from New York who offers therapy for grief, relationships and personal growth. Alex is really making a name for herself as a grief counsellor, helping young adults navigate loss and she is confident that it is possible to find the good in grief. So, ready to meet Alex? Let's get started. Welcome to the Happier Life Project, Alex Mamadiarov. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for graciously offering up some of your time to talk about a very important subject matter, how to cope with grief and loss. And um, we know it's something that I think most humans struggle with to some degree in their life. And as we get further into the conversation, I also think it's important to note that People find it really hard to talk about it, don't they? Especially if it's happening to a loved one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And someone they know. But yeah, before we get into the subject, let's talk a little bit about you first. You're a psychotherapist who works with people who are processing all types of grief. And we're going to talk a bit about this as well, including the loss of loved ones to both death and estrangement, as well as those going through transitions, encountering challenges in their interpersonal relationships, experiencing anxiety, working through trauma, codependency, or seeking to more deeply explore their self-concept. So I've taken that directly from your website. What does it mean to work psychodynamically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so psychodynamic therapy, it's sort of an umbrella term, but essentially what you're doing is you're looking at early life, you're looking at childhood relationships, what has really shaped a person. And so that's sort of the approach that I take. One of the first things that I do with a new client, regardless of what they're looking to work on, whether it's grief or something else, Mm. is to actually do a very in-depth family tree 
to understand sort of what I'm working with, where this person is coming from, from their grandparents, I'm working my way down. And that mm. way, anything that we do, any sort of um, coping strategies that we talk about, it's all very much tailored to their lived experience. I can't help but have the circle of life playing in my head right now from The Lion King because <laughs> there's something quite poignant about <laughs> looking at the start if you're helping people at the end, right? It is yes. the circle of life. Absolutely. So a quote from your website, and this was, I think, in regards to intuitive healing psychotherapy. I believe that ultimately you have the answers you need. In our work together, I help you draw out that intuitive voice that knows what you need and also how to understand what caused it to become buried in the first place. So this would all link back to origins, perhaps. Yes, absolutely. Especially early life experience, that sort of um, kind of drowns out that that early intuitive inner knowing about what somebody needs. I, I believe that mm. anyone that I'm working with comes in with that and they have the ability to, to tap back into it, even if they've become sort of lost from it. Why do you think so many people do get lost from the roots, the grassroots? So many reasons. I mean, I, I think anything from, you know, something as extreme as childhood trauma to being in school, being told, you know, to, how to behave and exactly how to show up in the world and, and not really being given the freedom to develop an authentic self, sort of having to conform. Mm. This is going to sort of segue into our conversation about grief. You said, I have a lot of great deal of personal experience with bereavement and mindfully carries this intimate and sacred knowledge into my clinical work around the subject. I believe that grief is not something to get past, but to integrate. So if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little bit on, on what you mean by that, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that grief isn't something we get over. It's not something that ever leaves us and we can learn to cope with it. It sort of becomes just kind of stitched into the fabric of our lives and of who we are. Um, and by integrating, I just mean that we let ourselves really honor and feel the weight of the loss and also find ways to keep going and let it change us. Mm. How would you, in a couple of sentences, define grief? Yeah, grief is a, it's a complex collection of emotions that can include so many different emotions, a deep sadness, yearning, anger, those are really prominent ones, but sometimes also guilt and anxiety, and it all ebbs and flows. So there are moments in your life where it'll be in the forefront, and then other times where it will sort of fade into the background, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Do you think sometimes we might experience a strong emotion, and it might be linked to grief? Maybe it's unprocessed grief, or maybe it's just like you said, we, we just, we never really get over it. Yeah, I think we certainly, if we try to avoid it, it will come out regardless. And sometimes it takes some introspection, maybe some work in therapy to understand, oh, this is connected to the loss that I went through. Yeah. Well, there are many different ways we can grieve. Uh, I've got a list of a few of them. So please let me know if I've missed out any of the big ones. Obviously, the biggest one is the death of a loved one. That includes pets as well divorce or changes in a relationship including friendships changes in your health or in the health of a loved one dismissal from work or changes in your financial security 
Changes in your way of life, such as moving to a new place, change in residence, change in work, change in schools, retirement, that kind of thing. Uh, pregnancy, fertility is- issues, miscarriage and trauma. Have I covered the, the major ones there? I think you absolutely have, yes. Yeah, they're big things, aren't they? They're big things in somebody's life. So in terms of how grief manifests, what are some of the most common ways that you see it in your clients? Because we've got the physicalities as well as emotionally and mentally. Absolutely. I mean, physically, especially in that acute grief right after a loss, it's pretty expected that you'll see disruption to sleep, appetite, energy, and um, that can take time to to sort of work with and adapt to and sort of overcome and, and get back to something that feels a little bit more like your baseline functioning. Um, some people develop new problems like migraines, uh, but ultimately grief is really stored in the body. Mm-hmm. And then as far as, you know, the emotion, it's that sorrow, anger, there can be um, a lot of shock, even if you were anticipating that the loss was coming. There can be a sense of isolation, guilt, anxiety, as I mentioned. And mentally, it can, it can change your outlook, you know, for the worse or for better. It can, you know, give life new meaning or it can make you struggle to find meaning. It can give you a negative outlook. It can cause hypervigilance, sort of waiting for the shoe to drop, mm-hmm. always waiting for the next bad thing that will happen. And I would add spiritually, too, it can bring about a crisis of faith, a crisis in spirituality or religion. Yes. So if we look at the the one that I think people would always go to first if you hear somebody's grieving, which is the death of a loved one. In mm-hmm. terms of the grieving process, like... Ha- I'm even hesitating myself to ask the question, but I'm going to, like, how long should we grieve for? Like, what is air quote normal or is there Mm -hmm. no normal Mm -hmm. i think every person you ask even among clinicians are going to have a different answer you know i'm very cautious about putting a timeline on it and the only time i think it is appropriate to look at timing is if we're talking about your basic daily functioning if that's impaired ongoing for a long time Mm -hmm. after and i can't necessarily say when enough is enough doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, but it does mean that you need maybe more support than you're getting. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, it's really an integration. And the expectation is sort of that we will find a way to exist in this new world with this new identity. But you know, I personally think that the first year is just about survival. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find myself helping people walk through is, how do I get through the day? what is my life going to look like and the deeper introspection and meaning making comes later gosh I mean it is such like heavy heavy work isn't it do you find then quite a few of your clients they come to you they they're grieving yes but does it snowball then into some mental health problems such as depression such as anxiety where you know they're just so buried in the pain that they can't see the wood from the trees Mm -hmm. absolutely it certainly can trigger a depressive episode um it can bring about anxiety that maybe that person has never really experienced before and that's why it can be so helpful in a therapeutic setting to have somebody that can kind of help you parse out what's going on 
Yeah, that's making me think of a couple of friends. One lost their dad and one lost their mum. So they were immediate parents that they were both close to. And they were very strong, independent ladies. But then they started to suffer from panic attacks, which, yeah, was definitely part of their, their grieving journey. Why is it important to grieve? And why is it important that we don't avoid grieving? Well, I think it's important that we grieve because whatever we lost and are experiencing the grief in response to was probably pretty important to us, whatever it was. And I think that's all really worthy of honoring both the pain and the love. And if we don't grieve, we really are not making space for all the potential good. And also, like I said before, the grief will still come out anyway. It will just kind of come out sideways in ways that we don't like. You know, we really can't avoid grief, but so many people try. People try to numb themselves with consumption, whether that's alcohol abuse, Mm -hmm. substance abuse, spending, shopping, or pouring all of your energy into other people to the detriment of yourself. And, you know, that sort of just makes us kind of, um, we harden to the world and we harden to connection when we avoid grief. Yeah. You're making me also think about when you're grieving the loss of a loved one who's still alive, like when it's a relationship that comes to an Mm -hmm. end. And I've said it myself and I've heard it said a lot that sometimes we find that's harder to say goodbye to somebody, you know, especially if it wasn't our decision to to break Mm. up, that that pain can actually be harder than if they had died. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so individual to the person. And I imagine that for the people who feel that way, it's because maybe there's a sense of hope. The person is still living. Maybe there's a, a, a hope that you can repair. But if the other person is unwilling, or in the case that you've had to set boundaries and you can't have a relationship with somebody anymore, even though you love them because it's harmful for you, that can still be incredibly painful as well. Mm. Is part of it, do you think, like mourning what could have been or mourning the life that you know you're not going to have anymore with that person in it mm-hmm. mourning what could have been you know mourning what you wished that it could be mm. absolutely I suppose that it is a void isn't it when you're grieving for something because that's making me also think of a job or even like we mentioned in the list fertility issues it's grieving perhaps Again, what could have been. Mm-hmm. Adapting to life without that person in mm-hmm. it, filling the void, is that something that you find many people that you work with struggle with? Should we be trying to fill that void or should we be trying to maybe honour the void? Mm-hmm. I really like that idea of honoring the void. I mean, I think you have to honestly acknowledge that there is a void. You know, really name for yourself what is irreparably different. And then also, what can you keep with you? How can you keep in the event of somebody in your life that has died? How can you carry them with you? And there are a few practices I usually recommend for people, including letter writing, write a letter to them get things off your chest, anything that you would want to share with them, any life updates, questions you have for them, the frustration of writing those questions to them and not getting an answer, um, sharing memories with other people, engaging in conversation about them, or even doing something like altar building. When you talk about the letter writing, that makes me think Mm -hmm. 
that must be so hard to start. I'd imagine once mm-hmm. you do it, it's cathartic, but it just getting somebody to actually put themselves through that, right, mm-hmm. must be really mm-hmm. painful. It is, and I, and I never recommend anything to anyone that I haven't done myself. Um, so, you know, I lost both my parents at a young age and I actually, the other day I was, thank you. I I was going through some, um, old notebooks I kept and I found one from a a grief retreat I had been on where we were instructed to write a letter. And basically the whole letter is me just talking to my mother and saying, this is so weird. Why am I doing this? I have no idea why I'm doing this. Um, and then I, I noticed that as I continued writing, when I got to the very end, I said, you know, I'm sorry I didn't do this sooner. I guess I wasn't ready, but I'll be in touch more. Oh, wow. What happens in a grief retreat? Would you recommend it? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the retreat. And I, I think it's it's challenging. I'm not sure what it's like in the UK. I think, you know, here there are definitely barriers. It can be hard to access. I was fortunate to have the financial privilege to go on a retreat. Mm. Um, the one that I specifically went on was with two women, one who is, they're both authors and one is a coach, one was a therapist, Claire Bidwell-Smith and Hope Edelman. And um, it's for uh, women who lost their mothers at a young age. Mm. And so it was just a very, very impactful week for me. Yeah. Um, so I do recommend them if, if people can, can get the access. Yeah, I would just add the note that make sure it's with somebody legit when when you're dealing mm-hmm. with something like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What about triggers? Can we avoid triggers? Or we probably can't avoid triggers, can we, really? The song comes on, you know, it's their favourite song. Mm-hmm. A smell... Uh, and again, okay. this person could be still in this life or not. But yeah, triggers nonetheless. Have you got any suggestions on, you know, the smallest thing that I don't want to say sets us off, like in, because that sounds quite frivolous, mm-hmm. but you know, <laughs> that, um, yeah, takes us down a down, downward spiral, maybe. Is there anything that mm. keeps us from sinking too much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we definitely use the word trigger and another phrase that I like to use is a grief wave um, because people say that grief comes in waves and I think that's sort of how it can feel in the first few times that you experience it you you know can really just be totally knocked knocked underwater and Mm. I think you have to know that you can't avoid it Um, but what you can do is keep in mind certain um, you know uh, certain experiences, certain interactions, certain content that can bring it up. So here in the States, we're coming up on Mother's Day. I think there are so many people who know that they're going to be triggered or they're already feeling triggered. They're already feeling that wave coming up. And then, like you said, you could just, I mean, you could walk into a grocery store and there's a song on and Mm. there it is. And the phenomenon Mm. of a grief wave is that it makes it feel like it just happened. Mm. Um, So I think all that we can do is you know, rather than trying to avoid them, again, leaning into it, trying to understand it more, trying to be curious and learn about ourselves, learn about our waves and what we tend to need in them. So do I need time with other people? Do I need time by myself? Um, And I really recommend writing those things down and then referencing them later as just a support. Mm. And going back to the retreat thing, when I've been on some really quite powerful yoga retreats and when it comes to addressing emotions that come up, 
we're always encouraged if we feel like crying we should just cry not care about what anybody else is gonna say or think or because they're not but you know just that it's it's healthy to like have a good cry and cry it out so would you recommend the same if somebody is going through a grief wave absolutely I see no reason to to hold it in and I think again it will eventually come out um and I, I think it's it, it can be really powerful and it can be cathartic and sometimes you can feel even just a little bit lighter after mm. so what about like we've talked about triggers but things like you mentioned mother's day so holidays christmas time i know is huge in terms of people thinking about that empty place around the christmas dinner table or places Mm -hmm. um again we can't we can't avoid it so how do we i suppose strike the balance of like remembering but then not staying too trapped in the past that we're hurting ourselves maybe too much Mm because people carry a lot of guilt don't they they don't want to forget the memory Mm -hmm. I think some of that comes from within some of that pressure but I think a lot of it comes from what's around us and what we're being told we're supposed to do so some people I think feel this pressure to honor who's missing and feel very sad when they actually may be sort of enjoying themselves and and feel that they're not supposed to be doing that and that's where the guilt comes Mm. in um other people will feel this pressure to just totally move on get rid of old traditions do something new and I, i don't think there's any right way i think it takes experimentation you have to unfortunately get some of those holidays under your belt to know what works for you yeah and i think as well it is when you're enjoying yourself sometimes where you can just get hit with a, a memory and this could be somebody that you were in a relationship with or it could be somebody that's sadly passed away um mm-hmm. it just seems to come out of nowhere and then it can just make you feel like absolute crap mm-hmm. absolutely i think that's something to sort of expect yeah does it get less frequent the longer time goes on do you think Yes. I mean, I I think that that is probably the most common trajectory. Of course, there are people who do really get stuck in a place where the grief is, it's so all consuming for years and years, but you know, Mm. that's of course where more support needs to come in. But Mm. that is sort of, that's sort of what happens. It's the grief waves will still come, but hopefully further apart. Mm. Do you think more people should get professional help from people like yourself when it comes to this? Because I think there's, I mean, certainly in the UK, it is getting a bit better, but it seems that like people try and cope because it's what's expected because it is part of life, right? But Mm -hmm. with that, there's a lot of suffering that happens. Mm -hmm. Right. I I think that Um, A lot of people probably close themselves off from getting more professional support because they think you're not supposed to or because it's part of life, it's what's expected. Why not give yourself a space to honor all of that and a space to talk it through? It doesn't doesn't even have to be that you're suffering so intensely. Really, it's, I think it's important to just have any kind of space that feels right for you. It doesn't have to be therapy. It doesn't have to be individual therapy. Many people like group therapy, Mm. um, other types of communities. 
Mm. Yeah, I think in the UK, shutting ourselves off, we don't want to talk about it, is maybe a coping mechanism as well for like... We're fearful of how painful it will be if we open Pandora's box. What do you say to that? That is the number one concern that I hear from new clients. Yeah. Is I am so afraid of just opening it up because I'm going to get stuck. And what if I can't ever put the lid back on? Mm. And so that's where I, I really assure them that that's it. Understandable fear. And I totally validate that. And it's something to practice when we sort of open ourselves up bit by bit, it becomes easier to do. When I was doing a bit of research um, ahead of our conversation, I came across a term anticipatory grief. So most of us think of grief as um, something which happens after a death, but it can start a long time before somebody dies. But this is often not acknowledged, talked about or even understood. And yeah, I I guess it makes sense, especially if somebody's diagnosed with like a terminal illness Mm-hmm. you start to grieve and certainly as well from my experience with both my grandparents had different types of like alzheimer's dementia and we were grieving the loss of the person before the actual de- years before actually mm-hmm. um yeah what, what have you experienced there yeah I, I think certainly in the case of a terminal illness we see anticipatory grief so much and like you mentioned with alzheimer's it's you know, I don't know if this resonates for you, but the way I've had clients describe it to me is like you're losing parts of the person already mm. before they're actually gone. Totally, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think there's can also be a grief around a shift in relationship. If you're a caregiver, the whole dynamic can feel very different. Yeah. And so sometimes the grief really it does start so much earlier. Yeah. So then, do you help people with this as well? Like, and and how can you help? You know because it's inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. I do, yes. And I I think one of the sort of common subtopics that comes up in the anticipatory grief is the fear of regret and the fear of feeling guilty. So Mm. really ruminating on what the right choices are. And that's where I sort of come in with the philosophy that there might be some of that no matter what you do. Some people could regret you know, not spending that much time with the person who was dying um, out of a sense of self-preservation. And some people will actually spend a lot of time and then regret it because they're traumatized by it. Grief, as we know, is universal. When you're in so much pain, just absolute horrendous, traumatic pain, and it feels Mm -hmm. it's the kind of pain where you think... There's nothing physical that can feel worse than this. You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't shower, you can't function. What's something that you would say to one of your clients just to notch them slightly out of the bleak, bleak hole that they're in? Well, first, I would be very encouraged by the fact that they're even speaking with me because one of the first things that I would say for somebody who's feeling that way is you must find a lifeline. It just has to be one other person and it doesn't have to be a therapist. It could be a friend or a family member, but you know, something very small every day, do one small thing and take it down to such basics. I would think about the five senses, you know, taste, uh, smell, touch, you know, what you can see, what you can hear, feed those senses or even just one of them. Mm. 
If they've lost a pet, I'm wondering, this has just popped into my head, how quickly would you get another pet? Man's best friend and all that. Like, do do you still need to, I suppose, leave a certain amount of time to grieve before you jump in and, and I don't Mm. want to say the word replace, that's awful, but take on another, Mm. you know, animal. Yeah, I think it's so up to the individual, but I would be curious, you know, if if somebody um, who's lost a pet, especially, you know, pets can be such meaningful Mm -hmm. companions who just give such unconditional love. And, you know, I would I would be curious, did that person are you letting yourself grieve? Are you expecting to feel grief or are you not expecting to feel grief because it's not a a human? Um, But I don't know that there's a a right or wrong time. I I would consider making some space for the grief, whether that's something that you do before getting a new pet or even alongside getting a new pet. Mm. If you lost a, a human person, maybe would getting a pet might help with that void? Because pets are very therapeutic creatures, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, I think as long as you feel equipped mm. to take on the, you know, the responsibilities, if you feel like you're in a good enough place yourself, I'm sure that that can be a great comfort. Yeah, I lost my stepdad about a year ago, or coming up to a year ago, it's coming up to his anniversary, and he had a dog, and yeah, so I've been thinking about him, you know, again, whilst doing the research for this episode. I thought it was really interesting when we had a a bit of correspondence ahead of the call in regards to, um, well, it was the five stages of grief model, And then it became, I don't know, at some point a long way, the seven stages of grief, which people will be very familiar with. Shock and disbelief, denial, guilt, anger and bargaining, depression, loneliness and reflection, reconstruction or working through and then acceptance. I mean, you've even seen it happening in like parodies on things as well, when they've uh-huh. kind of like fast tracked each of the stages. Like I'm thinking of, I can't remember, I think it's a Disney animation. Uh, but you corrected me on this and, and definitely we should chat about where I was misled in terms of who this is for or who this was, you know, who this model was created for. So I, I think it would be great if you could teach us about the model of the I don't know whether it's five or seven stages of grief. I don't know which one to even say. (laughs) Right. So the five stages of grief, I think it's the model that we all hear about. And it was created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a psychiatrist and really a pioneer of death studies. Um, And she first talked about the model, I believe, in her book um, on death and dying, published in 1969. And it was created from her work with the dying which is sort of the piece that's gotten lost in translation along the way. And I know at some point she sort of came out and said, hold on, everybody kind of has this wrong. Uh, That was about the dying process. However, I know that she expanded on it later. And the seven stages you were mentioning that also include a reconstruction and acceptance, that is certainly for grieving people. But I think we're more often presented with the five and sometimes people feel mm-hmm. that it doesn't totally make sense to them. They'll say, bargaining, what am I, how am I bargaining? What does that even mean? So my message about the five mm-hmm. stages is that it's, it's okay not to relate. And you may find that parts of it resonate, but they might be out of order. Mm. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure as well, I've had conversations with people before where 
it's been mentioned and I guess it's been misquoted actually where it's like oh you know I'm going through the stages and it again it <laughs> it might have been like the loss of somebody not through death but through an, a, a different way mm-hmm. be careful how you phrase it right it's it's for the dying because you've worked in fact you you're qualified and it's in my notes a national end of life doula right you're trained in that so you're helping people right at the end at their their end of life so do they go through those stages absolutely they certainly can and i think again what resonates for each person is probably going to be a little bit different and i think the idea is that you're sort of looking at the process that a dying person goes through to hopefully when they are really on the precipice of dying, they've come to some sort of acceptance about what is happening to them. Mm. Um, and, you know, there, there are many models out there. Something that I think the general public knows as well, but I really love is the four tasks of mourning. Um, it was created by a psychologist named William Warden, and the tasks are essentially to accept the reality of the loss, to process the pain of the grief, to adjust to a world without that person and to find an enduring connection as you continue on. Yeah. How do you help people with the fear at the end? Because that must really show up, right? Well, I believe until the final few breaths and then people do seem to almost become quite peaceful. Again, this is just what I've, you know, heard speaking to people that have been there at somebody's last last moments I was there for my stepdad's final breath we brought him home to pass away but yeah that fear how do you help people work through that the training that I um, have done to become a death doula was really focused on emphasizing the agency of the dying person and what they really want I think unfortunately what often happens is we're so avoidant of death. We don't want to think about it. It's very uncomfortable. It's very upsetting. Mm. And what ends up happening for so many people is they die without really having had the opportunity to think through what they want their death to look like, which of course is sort of a privilege in itself because many people die suddenly Mm. and don't have that opportunity. But if they do have a terminal illness, there is a really rich opportunity there to sit down and talk to somebody about where you'd like to be, like you mentioned, your stepdad being brought home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that giving the dying person that kind of agency is is the way to help them process some of the fear. Mm. And what about the fear then of the loved ones as well? Because they've got to put on a brave face, right? But do you help in that regard as well? Yes, I mean, death doulas certainly are there to be you know a support for, for everyone there although the dying person may be you know your client you are sort of there just to help everybody kind of process it's interesting because death doulas are not by trade or training uh psychotherapists right. so you sort of have to manage those boundary lines ah. um the way that i show up as a death doula it might be a little bit different but certainly it's incredibly scary for the family too. For anybody listening that is going through the grieving process now, maybe it's quite still quite fresh. 
And that might be why they've been drawn to listen to this podcast. How could they, I guess, be kind to themselves during this time? Acknowledge the gravity of what you're going through. And at the same time, try to stay as much as you can connected to anything that gives you a sense of hope, whether that is a person, an activity, really try to stay close to that. Reach out for support. We are often grieving relationships. And so relationships are also where all the healing takes place as well. Mm. What about supporting somebody that you know is going to pass as well like obviously everybody's different right but have you got any advice you could offer there yeah i mean i think the the number one way to work on supporting a grieving person or somebody who is nearing end of life is build up your capacity to witness don't look away because that is something Mm. that so many people struggle with is it's so uncomfortable and upsetting to see somebody suffer but they only suffer more when we turn away from them. So I would, you know, if you feel you have the emotional bandwidth to offer that kind of support, sit, spend time with that person, um, just be with them. And if you can't, and you don't really think you have the emotional bandwidth, because you always want to be genuine with any kind of support that you give, make sure it's authentic. Yeah, The person will feel that if it's not, okay, maybe you can't sit and have the conversation. Maybe that feels like too much for you, but can you run an errand? Can you do something tangible just to take something off their plate? Mm. I think people do feel quite uncomfortable talking about this. I mean, I'm even in this podcast episode, I'm noticing myself being a bit clumsy sometimes because I'm frightened of saying the wrong thing and Uh upsetting somebody or triggering somebody. And so I know as well myself when a loved one of mine is going through grief when they've lost somebody um, through death that you just think they're, (laughs) what are the words? You know, you don't want to sound like a Hallmark card, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then what else can you say? You know, you can say, yeah, go ahead. What do we say, please, Alex? (laughs) You can say, I don't know what to say. Okay. You can say, I don't know what I could say that would meet the gravity of this. This is so horrible, and I'm sorry this is happening to you. That sounds like good words. <laughs> good words. <laughs> um, guilt, guilt at moving on. Mm. That must come up a lot as well, right? How can I live my life? How can I enjoy the holidays? How can I enjoy going on holiday without mm-hmm. that person? Why is it so important for us to seize the day to live our lives to you know obviously not forget who we've lost but to move through the guilt Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i would ask what's the alternative we're here it's now this is the time and i think that there are a couple helpful ways of reframing it that you can look at so maybe you don't like the term moving on. I think a lot of people don't like the, the words moving on because yeah. it can come with this connotation of losing the feeling. Yeah. And I don't think we really do lose the feeling. So any other kind of phrasing that, you know, feels more um, aligned, like, you know, you're continuing on, you're continuing forward, you know, 
can you also reframe it as not only honoring yourself, but also honoring the person who died? And I think that can get tricky depending on the relationship, because if it was a very close relationship, you know, for instance, I, I had great relationships with my parents when I was a child. So I have no doubt that they would want me to be happy. And that is, that's something I think is a privilege for me that I get to have that experience. Mm. I know that I have honored them by living a life that's really joyful and fulfilling. Mm. I think that can get a little bit tricky if the relationship is more complicated. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's, it's definitely a real challenge to move through the guilt, but it's so necessary. Mm. I can't help but think now as well about like when it's you've lost somebody and they were a romantic partner mm -hmm. and actually there's the guilt moving on when that person has passed away but then there's also you're getting into complications where the person's still alive have they moved on and you're still suffering are you ready to move on before they are like th that must get really complex as well because you work with relationships too right mm -hmm. yeah I think that can be very complex and I think everyone has their own timing especially in a partnership that ends one person may really be struggling to move forward and the other person may not be um and yeah. it's it's also completely valid um and really it just depends on the person do you have any advice as we start to wrap things up for somebody that is mourning the loss of somebody who has moved on to somebody else while they're still sad about the end of the relationship? Yes, I think it happens in two parts. Let yourself feel all the sadness, all the anger. Let yourself really be with the emotion and release the emotion connected to that what you wish that it could have been all the hope that you have for what it could be but i would also do a little bit of reality testing you know was it such a great relationship for you look at the reality of what it is now look back as well mm. look back but don't stay back right don't get stuck <laughs> in it that can also be a thing right when you're stuck in the past and you're reminiscing about the good times mm -hmm. yeah and i i think it's okay to to cherish you know happy memories and also know that you know you will reduce your suffering by doing what you can to not stay stuck back there mm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Final question, Alex. I ask every guest at the end of the episode to set the listeners some homework based on the theme of the episode. So in this case, what is a simple actionable step that we can take when it comes to coping with grief and loss that will help us on our mission to building a happier life? Writing is my go-to. It's been very personally healing for me and I see how helpful it is for my clients when they engage with writing outside of our sessions and sometimes bring that in or sometimes keep it private to themselves. Set aside some quiet private time and do some free writing. If you're listening to this episode, I imagine you've gone through some loss, you've been experiencing some grief. I would encourage you to lean more into the feeling. Write about it, write about the loss. If writing doesn't feel like it resonates for you, draw it. You could draw it, you could paint it, you could do something different. And then I would encourage that you 
get connected with somebody, a loved one, somebody that you feel you can trust and tell them what you found in that exercise. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate your time today. So for more on you, your website. Yeah, um, folks can go to my website, alexmamadiarotherapy.com. Cool. And then also on Instagram, you've got quite the following. Yes, I do. Hello, it's Gabby back with you. Thank you again to Alex. If you want to find and follow her on social media, she is at Alex Marmadiarov and her surname is spelt M-A-M-M-A-D-Y-A-R-O-V. And thank you to you, my friend, for listening to this episode of The Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. And if you were drawn to this particular episode, then perhaps you are going through something right now and experiencing a loss. So I send you truly my heartfelt condolences. And I am so proud of you for listening to this episode and taking steps towards looking after yourself because that is really, really important. And speaking of importance, onto the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, that's me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The primary healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you haven't already subscribed, we'd love it if you do so. And if you have time to leave us a quick review, that always goes appreciated too. And we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby on the gram. So feel free to send us a message there too. Do take care, guys, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.